0: Welcome to Bluegrass Stories, I'm Katie Daly. In 2015, the iconic dobro player Mike Aldridge entered the IBMA Hall of Fame as a member of the original Seldom Scene. This year he will be inducted into the IBMA Hall of Fame as a solo artist in a gala ceremony September 26 in Raleigh, North Carolina. Fellow Dobro player and friend, Rob Ikes, will be one of two presenters at that ceremony. Howard Parker spoke with Rob about Mike's playing, their friendship, and the significance of Mike being recognized as a solo artist.
1: Dean, and what was Mike up to when, when you first became aware of
0: him? Um, let's see.
2: Yeah, I um, I was just turned 13, and I had really gotten the bug to play music, and uh, my family played a lot of music, and I was supposed to play the fiddle, a lot of fiddlers in my, my grandpa's side of the family, um, and, uh, but I just never, you know, I, I liked it, but I never, you know, he gave me a lesson when I was seven, and I took it home and never took the fiddle out of the case, and then um uh, when when i was 13 i just had this amazing you know lightning bolt experience when i heard mike's first record um dobro and um i just couldn't believe what i was hearing it just i can't even describe how good it made me feel you know i tell people it was like a drug you know just whatever he was doing i i had to figure out how he was doing it and just get that sound <laughs> into my into my life somehow, you know, and that that got me going on music, man, like in a big way. And it's funny because I've uh, talked to, you know, at Rezo Summit every year, we always have a great faculty and, you know, probably 10 10 to 12 different faculty members. And um, and a few years ago, uh, maybe it was after Mike passed away, we were all just kind of talking about how much we liked him and, and his music, and there were so many of the instructors who had a similar experience to me, you know, just like that's what got them going. And I've also met, you know, plenty of guitar players and singers and just people that, you know, Mike got them turned on to music in a big way. So, um, you know, thrilled that he's going in the Hall of Fame this year. Totally well-deserved.
1: So when you first became aware of Mike, was this uh, during what is early scene period or a little later, maybe in the scene?
2: So I was, it was 1980 when I started playing. So okay. I, I think Phil Rosenthal maybe had just joined the band and, um, this it's foot I've got a picture on my desk of me. I'm probably 15 and, uh, <laughs> that band with, uh, Phil Rosenthal in the band, um, played, uh, in Sacramento. And so my mom drove me up there and, um, and the, I knew the guy who was putting the show on. He was this guy, Skip Green. He used to put on the Midsummer Bluegrass Festival in Grass Valley. And uh, he had booked them to play a concert at a church. And then uh, he kept saying, hey, Rob, you got to come up. They're going to do workshops, you know, after the show. And so me and there was a couple other dobro player friends of mine were all hanging out there. We pretty much just followed Mike around, <laughs> and he didn't know anything about a workshop. You know, those guys, they weren't they were going to do workshops. The promoter was just kind of dreaming, I think. But, you know, they had a pick and party at the music store after, and uh, like I said, we just kind of followed Mike around, and he was uh, super cool to us, and we got out our Dobros and said, yeah, I've got a picture right here of me with my yeah. dobro.
1: Or he was arguably, as some people have said, the the actually the coolest bluegrass guy on the planet at the time.
2: I would say that's right. I would say that <laughs> still holds true.
1: <laughs> when 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 you first got a hold of um, of Dobro, which I think was what 1970, I think that I think that was released around '72 or something like that. Did 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 you uh, basically start there and go forward with Mike, or did you sort of? Uh, go back and maybe investigate the early stuff, uh, the Emerson and Waldron or Cliff Waldron, New Shades of Grass stuff.
2: So I remember distinctly, you know, it was all about that first record for a few months. I mean, that's all I listened to. I was just so into it. And then I think I got blues and bluegrass and just wore that out and, you know, learned. Well, when I learned everything on the first album, I thought I'd done something. You know, I was like, hey, <laughs> I have achieved something, you know. That was a that was a nice feeling. Um, and then uh, and then yeah, then I kind of devoured blues and bluegrass, and then I got into all the seldom seen albums. Probably more of the earlier stuff, you know, Act One and Act Two and Old Train. And I just wore those albums out, and I learned every little backup fill and every solo that Mike played. You know, it was just uh, when I think back on it, I realize it was just pretty pretty rabid about it, you know, um, excuse me, and, um, and then I got, somebody told me about Tony Rice and Ricky Skaggs about that album and I was like who's playing dobro on that and there's there's no dobro on it oh, really why would I get that record then if there's no <laughs> dobro on it but I got it and it just blew me away it was just so amazing um, and then I got into Tony's music and you know heard Jerry Douglas through that and you know became a huge fan of his and um, you know so but I, I will tell you speaking of record there was another Mike Aldridge album that really hit me Great, and that was the Mike Aldridge and Old Dog, and it's one that's kind of below the radar because um, Mike didn't really play a lot of shows with that band. And it's funny, I when we did the Three Bells album, I got to pick his brain a lot, you know, about about those records that I love so much. And and we were talking about that record, and he had one more record on his um, Flying Fish Records contract, and he was wanting to do an album, and he was friends with phil rosenthal and that band and uh they were kind of just starting out and so he just thought well i'll help these guys out and and i can get a good record out of the deal and so they just kind of joined forces and made this beautiful album i mean there's great songs on there they do that jim croce song age that uh you know the bluegrass album band did a great version of it many years later um and this record came out like in 79 i think 78 or 79 anyway i think it's some of mike's best playing i mean the rec- the tones are unbelievable and he plays some amazing pedal steel on there and i in some ways i think it's it's just kind of i think it's some of the best playing he's ever done so i know we got some dobro Geeks listening to this, so check out Mike Aldridge and Old Dog. You check online and because you, if you're a Mike Aldridge fan, you want to get Mike Aldridge and Old Dog. This
1: could be an impossible question, but I mean, is it possible to sort of um, categorize what about his his style sort of grabbed you? I mean, were, were you a, a Buck Graves fan before then, or or basically Mike was the Mike Mike was the the gateway drug to Dobro for you. <laughs>
2: Mike was the gateway for sure <clears throat> I mean I think I'd listen my brother was playing banjo and so you know so we were listening to Foggy Mountain banjo and of course I love that and I love Uncle Josh but yeah when I heard Mike again when I heard that first album of Mike's, that's really what did it for me so there was really no nothing before him for me you know as far as dope mm-hmm. as far as really listening closely um, and and, and, uh, and getting into it but you know, I think it's kind of similar to Tony Rice, you know, like I remember as a kid telling my mom one day that I just, I was just listening to that, that record and I just told her, I said, I just want to play clean like that. You know, that, that would be, if I could do that, I would be happy because all you hear is the music when you hear Mike play. And
1: He, w- he was not a very notey player.
2: Could you know, like I mean the eight string swing, you know, I love the oh, yeah. the little rock getaway, I mean, um and I think especially later on, you know he got just kind of more into the ballad thing, I think, um, but uh, you know, he just played so clean, and um you know that reminds me of a story he told me when we were doing the three Bells record, where he was telling me how him and Josh Graves met, and i 'll give you the reader's digest version, but you know, Josh Graves was Mike's hero, and um, Mike had a student, and her husband uh, was good friends with Josh Graves. And so, when Josh, when Flat Scruggs played around DC, Josh would go have dinner at these folks' house, and they invited Mike, and uh, and Mike said he was just too nervous to go, so he didn't even go the first time <laughs> they invited him. <laughs> and then, you know, six months later, whatever Flat Scruggs were coming through again, and so. Um, they said uh you know josh is coming for dinner we really would love to have you and so so mike went that time and he said he was just nervous you know but enjoyed meeting josh and, and after dinner you know they finally said josh said well these folks have been telling me what a great player you are would you play a song and of course mike didn't even take his guitar so he, yeah of course Yeah, yeah. So he played Josh's and he played, you know, one song and Josh turned around and said, that is the cleanest dobro plan I have ever heard. And he just loved it. And they became great friends. And, um, you know, so yeah, yeah, that was pretty special. And, you know, Mike was a huge Flat & Scruggs fan. And, you know, even told me that after he got back from his honeymoon, his brother came up and said, "Flat & Scruggs are playing Berryville tonight. You want to (laughs) go?
1: In in your estimation, I mean Mike was a huge fan of the pedal steel guitar and uh western swing and classic country music. What what effect do you think his pedal steel playing had on his his dobro styling?
2: Well, um that's a good question. I think I think the way he his right-hand technique, you know, and I don't know if he always kind of curled his right hand up, but when you play pedal steel, you do a lot of that right-hand blocking, you know, and yeah. um and, and so it probably affected, you know, uh, his right hand technique and the tone he got. But really from hanging out with him, you know, um, he loved play pedal steel. I think, you know, he told me, at least for a period, he loved it more than the dobro. I don't know if that was always true, but um, he just got really into it. And um, what, I, what I think it did was just kept him super excited about music. You know, I mean, his wife told me one day was down there in the basement playing pedal steel for like 13 hours. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the Dobro is is infinite, but, I mean, the pedal steel is very infinite, you know. It's just kind of mind-boggling all the options you have. So probably, uh, you know, I mean, I love pedal steel. I don't play it. I mean, I I had one when I was a kid, but... um, but it, it's, yeah, I mean, you, the sky's the limit with that instrument, you know. So it was probably freeing and, yeah, definitely informed his uh, dobro playing, I would say, yeah.
1: And as Mike's um, style evolved, because, it, I mean, every, everyone's style evolved, especially over over four decades, um, can, can you sort of describe what you heard in perhaps Mike's um uh, I don't know mid period, for lack of a better description, or, or even his uh, his later years.
2: It was pretty weird because it's funny. I heard some of that, uh, uh, you know, Cliff Waldron stuff recently, and I'm really not. I I don't have much of that stuff, but I knew who it was exactly. You know, I mean, I knew who was playing Dobro, and I was like, oh, that's got to be that Cliff Waldron stuff. And you know, he just had such a great sound right off the bat. Uh, and, and you know, with those solo albums, he, he and I tell you, that's another reason why he's such an important guy, because he was the first guy to do solo albums for the Dobro, you know, and he put the Dobro front and center, and did it really tastefully and really well. I mean, he influenced guys like David Grisman, you know, because Mike was mixing jazz and bluegrass pretty early on, really, before anybody else was really starting to do that. You know, he did a great version of Killing Me Softly, and he would take these kind of pop hits and arrange them on the dobro, and they sounded like they were supposed to be played on the dobro, you know. So that's pretty amazing, just to have the intellect the musical intellect to do that you know um so but so i think that's that's a big part of his thing you know at that time too was just getting in there and doing those solo albums and just and the funny thing is like you know, when I hear that Hillbilly Hula, you know, the first song on Dobro in Tennessee. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I'd never, I had never been to Virginia when I was a kid, but I could hear the Virginia. You know what I mean? Like when you listen to a really good artist, like when you hear Ralph Stanley sing, you can hear, you can see those clinch mountains, you know. And Mike had that thing with his playing where he kind of just soaked up his world and it came out through his music, you know, and... Um, and it just took you someplace else, you know, um so yeah that's pretty that's pretty powerful um but uh but yeah, I mean, just the solo albums are really important, and you know, it just has such a clean tone and um and then, in some ways, I think that the eight string swing was just a really. I revisited that, you know, a few years ago, and I wore it out when I was a kid. But I hadn't listened to it in a long time, and I was like, "Holy crap, man! This guy is
1: really..." But you never got you you never got the urge to jump in.
2: No, but I would learn that stuff on six string as good as I could, you know, as close as yeah. I could, um, because I loved the notes and I loved what he was doing. Um, so I would kind of, I was kind of fake my way through it in in regular tuning. Um, and I did learn a lot of those songs, (laughs) I was just too lazy to, I don't know, I just didn't, you know, I didn't want to get an 8-string dobro, um, but I tried to figure it out on my 6-string, you know, but I mean, yeah, just go listen to Little Rock Getaway, everybody, and you will, you will be blown away, you know, so, you know, he just kept pushing himself to the end, and that's what I realized when we did that Three Bells album, is that, man, this guy's, you know six months from passing away little did we you know all know and he's still pushing himself and you know such a perfectionist and uh you know he just uh, he was music 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 till the day he died you know it's just way way into it so that was inspiring i know for jerry douglas and i when we were working on that record with him. yeah like,
1: can can we uh, uh, touch base just for a couple of minutes and perhaps talk about mike a little bit as a uh... As an educator, I mean, I, uh, his his basement is sort of uh, infamous in the Dobro world. I, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of, of prospective students he's had down there. Plus, he uh, he worked with you extensively at um, at Rezo Summit, and uh, and I'm assuming was uh, at least popular when he was down there teaching for you.
2: First time we did Rezo Summit, you know, he was top of our list. You know, we got to get Mike. You know, and um, and um, and and you know, to what you just asked me, that is a time where where I did hear him. You know, well, he wouldn't when when Betty, you know, my co-producer for Rezo Summit, Betty Wheeler, you know, she would talk to him or email him, you know, about coming to Rezo Summit, and he was very uh, self-effacing. Ah, people, you know. People don't want to hear what I can play. It's a uh, simple stuff, you know, blah, blah. We just said, oh, shut up, you know, <laughs> get over here. And uh no, he was, I, in fact, I've got, We, Trey and I have been playing in Europe a lot the last few years. And I mean, there's some people over there who came to Rezo Summit and they just were so thrilled to sit, you know, with him and to hear him play and to have him teach them a song. I mean, they still talk about it. That was probably 10 years ago, you know. Um Yeah so now he was very humble very gracious i mean i've heard other guys say yeah i took a lesson from mike a few times and he actually carried my guitar in the house for me you know i couldn't believe how nice he was and always went way over you know if they had done a two-hour lesson or whatever they were there for four hours or you know um... and that's how i was when i went a couple times i went to his house and uh, especially when we started doing the three bells record i went there one day and i went down in the basement with him to play, and you know we were down there for six hours. You know, I was like, "Wow, that was cool, just playing music the whole time." So that's what I mean. He was just eat up with it, you know.
1: Plus, you were in close proximity of the of the famous ironing board. <laughs>
2: yes, is that in the Hall of Fame? Does that go in the Hall of Fame, also?
1: I, I'd love to see it there. <laughs> let me let me jump ahead and ask you about a a, a couple of. Um, uh, concerts with Mike that that you were involved in, a couple of projects that really had a, a profound personal interest um, to me. Uh, the first one was when Mike became a uh, a, a a National Arts Fellow for the um, the National uh, National Heritage Fellow for the National Endowment of the Arts, and there was just a, a wonderful set with uh, uh, with Mike and you and Andy Statman
2: um let's see we were doing the three bells album at the time and um when he he uh he was nominated and then won and um actually that's part of the reason i went because his voice he was starting to lose his voice from his illness and um and uh so they kind of want, they knew that he wasn't going to be able to talk a lot, and so so it was great, because I got to really toot his horn, you know, and Mm -hmm. and whereas he would never do that, I got to, uh, you know, just tell everybody how great he was, you know, and it was a really great ceremony, a great concert, they have, you know, there's a lot of artists, and it's different different types of art, but it's all, you know, American artists, and um, I think Flaco Jimenez was in that year, and great combination of artists and um yeah so fitting that that he was in there you know so and then yeah then we perform so i you know basically while during the interview they kind of just asked me to talk about mike and so what a thrill for me you know to be up there with my hero and get to yeah the dobro is still such a kind of obscure instrument you know you're always kind of educating people about it so it was nice to get to brag on my hero right there in front of him and uh in front of a great audience you know and so yeah really great that was a great couple of days and um so proud of him for uh for for getting that award very well well andy was a winner also and wanted to put some of the musicians together you know and they thought well these guys of course andy plays you know horns and everything too but uh, he's a great mandolin player so they just put the three of us together and we did uh, walk run and
1: uh, uh it was um it was a uh, just one of those evenings you know that those of us that were in the audience i mean we 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 knew the story but uh, he played strong everyone played strong it was just Mike up there just doing his thing
2: Yeah, I'm trying to think what month that was, because he passed away just a few months after that, I think, and um, so, yeah, he was pretty strong to the end, I mean, we went, we were doing the Three Bells record for about a year before he passed away, and we had booked a session around Thanksgiving, but by then he wasn't, you know, just kind of wasn't really up for it, and luckily we had the record done pretty much, so, but we kept, the date and there and just with him for a day and of course I'll never yeah. forget that you know um, and he was yeah. he was still in good shape and you know good good frame of mind and um, yeah that's one thing I was going to say earlier when, when we hung out that day for like six hours we went and had lunch and uh and you know he 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 knew you know he had cancer at that point, but he was still doing pretty good. And um, but he said, you know, I got no regrets. You know, I've been able to play the music that I want to play my whole life. And um,
1: it was um, it was a uh, just one of those evenings, you know, that those of us that were in the audience. I mean, we. We, we we knew the story, but uh, he played strong. Everyone played strong. It was, it was just Mike up there, just doing his thing. Let me. I know we've we, we've talked about three bells from time to time here, and and everything. I know uh, you, Jerry, and uh, and Mike, and um, uh, Paul Beard certainly um, had a handle on on logistics and that, and getting Mike to and back, and everything. Um, how the the sessions uh the studio sessions they were they were fun they were strong they were musical they were every everything you would hope to that.
2: <laughs> yeah i think we were all pleasantly i mean not surprised cuz i mean i sure we knew it would be good but honestly when we first started talking about it we thought we might just do it just to document it for us you know just to have And the first day, you know, we started playing and everything just fell together and it sounded great. And so, you know, by the end of the first song, we knew it was going to be something special, you know, so I think we, you know, at that point, we just knew it was going to come out for everybody to hear, not just us, you know, Um, but yeah, it was weird, I mean, because you got three fretless instruments playing together, so there's a lot of room for error, but, you know, everybody's pitch was so good, and um, everybody, you know, we just kind of like, everybody, well, that's what I like about playing with good musicians, is it's more of a conversation, it's not, we're not yelling over each other. <laughs> in other words, you know, when Mike's taking the lead, we back off and play rhythm or some fills or whatever. And then when I take a lead, those guys, you know, so I can say something and then they'll listen and then they'll say something and I'll listen. So it wasn't like a lick a lick fest or a um, speed fest or, you know, it was more like a cool conversation.
1: Even in spite of the fact that they were identified who was playing and which which channel um, throughout the project you, you, could, you could hear, you could if, if you understood style, you, you, you knew who was playing what, what part.
2: Yeah, that's fun. I mean, it's fun to, to hear the different styles and then different approaches to the solos. And yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, what a thrill for me. I mean, those guys are my heroes, you know, and to grow up listening to them and uh, to do a whole record with them. You know, it was just uh, so fun. Just definitely, you know, a dream come true. So it yeah. was, uh, it was, We but we all had a blast. And Mike told us several times, you know, he said, I know this is going to be my last recording and I'm honored, you know, that it's with you guys. And, you know, it was, uh, and I really got to give it, you know, to give all the credit to Jerry for his, his idea. And, you know, he put it together and, um, you know, so, just uh, I'm so glad that he did it and so glad to be a part of it and it was uh, it was a blast for all three of us for probably for different reasons you know
1: and 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 did you swear off of ham and cheese sandwiches after the uh, the sessions?
2: Yes <laughs> Just super thrilled um, that Mike's getting in the Hall of fame and and very well deserved he you know devoted his life to the instrument and the music. And um, I think it's a, it's a great, great day for all dobro players, you know, when uh, somebody like that gets in the Hall of Fame. I can't think of anybody that deserves it more, you know. He gave his life to the music and loved it till his last day. So how cool, let's, let's all celebrate Mike Aldridge and all the great music that he gave us.
0: That was Rob Ike speaking with Howard Parker about iconic dobro player Mike Aldridge, who will be inducted this year into the IBMA Hall of Fame as a solo artist. I'm Katie Daly. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll take the time to listen to some of the other episodes of Bluegrass Stories available on iTunes, Facebook, SoundCloud, and on katiedaily.com.